0: This is episode 102 of Alohomora for September 20th, 2014. Hello listeners and welcome back to MuggleNet.com's global reread of the Harry Potter series. I'm Michael Harley. I'm Caleb Graves. And I'm Eric Skull. And today we have a special guest
1: with us I'd like to introduce right now, Kayla Van Horn.
2: Hello.
3: Hi, Kayla.
2: Hi.
3: Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: I am from Washington State. Um, I am a very proud Ravenclaw. And um, my wand is made of elder. so you guys don't want to start a duel with me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> is that Pottermore official? It is Wow yeah, that's, was... something, that's not something you just make up
2: No, no I would well, never <laughs>
1: I'm surprised that they have that as an option on Pottermore Elder Yeah It just doesn't seem fair, does it? It said no, it was it the most rare kind so.
2: <laughs>
1: oh. Like what question did I have to answer correct to get an unbeatable wand?
0: Come on ah. Well, we're very glad to have you on the show, Kayla. We will try not to get Kayla and Caleb confused throughout this whole episode. We'll be, <laughs> we are going to the greatest efforts to ensure that it doesn't happen. It will be happen. a struggle. It will be. <laughs> we almost, see, and we almost, usually we, uh, we can almost complete the the Hogwarts set. Somebody's going to have to pretend to be a Slytherin today. That's, that's unusual. We don't usually um, do that. Do you have some Slytherin robes, Eric? No, I de- the girlfriend does. Oh,
1: huh, um, okay. Yeah, actually, they uh, they would be kind of tight on me. See. <laughs> <laughs> give it, we'll give it a go. Um, <laughs> okay, don't give
3: but, the fans too much to work with. There, yeah,
1: no, but uh, no, I think that the the presence of the Dark Lord in the back of all of our
0: minds, uh, or Harry's mind in this chapter, that's there. You go. Uh, is Very enough well of a Slytherin presence. That's. Pr- perfect which speaking of we want to remind you listeners to make sure and listen or read rather chapter 24 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix Occlumency, before listening to this episode so that you can get the full experience out of this episode but before we do that part of the full experience
1: of any alohomora episode is where we talk about the previous discussion that happened on the previous week's alohomora so <laughs> without further ado here are some comments that we received uh these are all sourced from our main site. We received just a ton of comments on both the forums and the main site, so we do want to thank everybody uh every week. But just some uh these are some interesting things that uh I thought would really liven up the discussion here. So, first comment today comes from the giant squid who says, I agree with the hosts that how Harry is feeling at the beginning of this chapter is incredibly awful. And it bothers me that no adult figures sought him out to talk to him about this. Just get some sleep, Harry. Then you'll forget what it was like to become an enormous beast and maul someone you care about. (laughs) Why on earth does no adult sit down with him and comfort him? He is 15 years old and has uh, no, and has no mother to run her fingers through his hair and tell him he's okay, that nobody blames him, or that everything will be alright. Instead, all of the adults in the house just focus on business and let the damaged boy stay in his room and out of the way. The adults need to step it up and reach out to this poor kid. Other kids shouldn't have to shoulder that responsibility for them.
0: End rant. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I... I I do agree with this. It's funny, I kind of wish Kat had been here just for this comment in particular, because I know she would have been like, this is the book where Harry has to do it on his own. If he didn't have this book, then he wouldn't be able to do everything he needs to do. So there you go, Kat. I'm standing in for you on that comment. But (laughs) at the same time, I did bring up last week that I'm very frustrated that there's very little communication between Harry and Lupin in the last chapter mm. because Lupin's around. He actually doesn't. He's he's around and he has no lines in the previous chapter, um, <laughs> which is very frustrating. You would think that of all the people, Lupin would be the one to talk to him. I know because he shares. We mentioned this last week, right? He shares. He's being a monster. Right? <laughs> yes, yes, like the beast yeah. within all that business. So, um,
1: you know, speaking of comments, though Hagrid's drinking problem. Uh, <laughs> is is a username uh on our on our main site and they said uh quite similarly to what uh, Michael was just saying I propose a renaming of Harry Potter book 5 Harry Potter and What About Lupin truth so <laughs> that's a truth bomb <laughs> we drop truth bombs sometimes on a little <laughs> more <laughs> um, but the next comment that we do want to bring up or I want to bring up is from Kid. <laughs> not that <laughs> kid Diskid. Kid. um this is uh, in regards to our discussion about Harry's conversation with Phineas Nigellus's portrait. Uh, they say, Phineas making that line to Harry set a nerve in me. While I understand it, as it is true that Harry has traits of Slytherin and you can't escape house stereotypes, it's probably because of my own situation. I've always felt like a Hufflepuff, and was beyond excited when I was sorted into Hufflepuff, but I am one of the very lucky few that got to choose... Whatever house I wanted I was a hat stall between every single house on oh my The soaring Lucky. hat did not know what to do with me <laughs> So it went with my choice If I was in Hogwarts in real life I feel like I would constantly have people telling me Quote, oh Hufflepuffs don't do this Or quote, oh you really belong in Slytherin Ravenclaw Gryffindor As I am a whole mix of all houses but at the end of the day, my choice was Hufflepuff. That's kind of like Harry. While he was not a hat stall, he chose Gryffindor, which is who he is. I just don't like how, even after people are sorted, other people think that they can decide better what house you belong in. Trust the Sorting Hat. Even in the case of Snape, he was one of the bravest characters in the series, but his choice was Slytherin. Choices have a lot to do with where you belong again guys i feel like i'm doing pottermore wrong how, how did i not how do you get a four-way hat stall what questions what questions
4: did
3: i have to answer there to was get? actually a secret menu and if you found it you <laughs> could, all the about starting hat hacking
1: because um, they don't yeah. let you change houses you have to delete your account and get another account if you don't like your house right not that i've done that
2: is he so, Harry Potter Divergent? Like-
3: that, that's what <laughs> I thought of. <laughs> uh, but, but while this person... I see their point. But also, I don't think it's so much of a, a Phineas Jealous, um like trying to assert so hardcore that Harry should have been in Slytherin as much as it is, it's just a place of pride for him. Just like it is for everyone with their house, right? Just like McGonagall is um, very happy that Harry chose Gryffindor and is in her house. Um, I don't think it's so much as Phineas. He has very abrasive personality. Obviously, uh, I don't know if that's the best word. A certain type of personality. I don't know what the right word is right now, but it it comes from its core, I believe, of a, of a place just having a lot of pride in Slytherin. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's yeah, funny I, that I would, it's funny to I would say, say that he has pride when he's saying that, like. Slytherins are the first ones to Hightail it out of a bad situation <laughs>
3: But he's asserting it in his own mind Oh right? yeah, he's...
0: no, for sure It's just funny yeah. that that's the best compliment He can give Slytherin in the moment <laughs>
1: Well uh, We
0: know that Slytherins become headmasters too So that's kind of cool right. It's. I, I think this instance is interesting too Because it's not a case of, Like the last time we got Harry, Somebody assertively telling Harry He would have Done well in Slytherin, it was the Sorting Hat Um, so, which is A little bit more definitive, and the Sorting Hat, as we Know from Pottermore, is pretty, it holds True to what it says Um, it will argue its choices to people Um, whereas Phineas is not a Sorting Hat, he's not as definitive as that Um, he's just kind Of idly commenting, but again, it's we're, We're hearing that again Um, but not from Something that can detect the Horcrux Horcrux in Harry's body Right, so
1: yeah. Well, our next comment comes from Accio Potassium and they say, um, one of the more questionable Christmas presents of this chapter would have to be Harry's gift to the great Warren Weasley. Why would our favorite red headed King need a broom compass? The only conceivable use for a broom compass is would be for long broomstick journeys, and yet Ronald Weasley has never had a need for this kind of travel. The broom compass could easily be considered as a cheeky insult. It's almost like saying, you're so lost on a Quidditch field that you need a compass to find the ball. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what? <Whoops. Burn. laughs>
1: <laughs> so Harry uh, unwittingly just insulted Ron.
0: Well... It was an, maybe he was just thinking of a ways to help help just gently improve his skills. <laughs> the compass, yeah, <laughs> you know, Ron, Ron gets turned upside down numps, on his phone sometimes. It's all good. It's, it's... Are you
2: allowed to have a compass during Quidditch matches? I would <laughs> oh, think that would be I against want... some kind of regulation.
0: Why? yeah it's just
2: telling okay, you where I north not, is but, okay it would be embarrassing though everyone would be like you're so lost
1: well it's just like this is the next this is the first step next harry goes and bribes all the other teams to always attack from the north <laughs> you know i feel like that's what it is um and uh, we also have another comment about christmas uh presents here from luna love duck <laughs> funny username Okay, so let's talk about the best gift that was given in this chapter. Ron gave Hermione perfume. When I first read through the series, I thought it was strange that there was so much Romione drama in books 4 and 6, but not much going on in 5. But moments like the perfume remind us that there's still a lot there. Since we see everything through Harry's point of view and Harry is particularly wrapped up in his own angst this year, it makes perfect sense that he would simply not notice certain details, meaning that then we don't get to explicitly hear about them. But if Harry had been paying attention, he might have thought it strange that all Hermione could think of to say about the perfume was that it was unusual, and he might have noticed that Ron changed the subject right away, most likely while blushing. This is also a great moment to remind us that these two lovebirds are uh, developing a connection that is separate and apart from Harry. Lots of great fanfic about the time they must spend together doing prefect duties. Sigh, I just love Romione. (laughs) That was Luna Love Duck. Um, So, the perfume that was unusual, I don't know if I should feel sorry for Ron about this. Because I still think a girl who likes your gift wouldn't quite call it unusual.
2: Um, Oh, Right when I read that, I knew that it was had to be smelling terrible. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just like... as as a woman, like if a guy that I had feelings for bought me a present, I would fake it, like even if it was terrible. So the fact that all she can come up with is unusual, like it must smell like dead skunk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know Hermione has talks a lot about her time in Paris, so. And in mm. France, and she seems to be a connoisseur on all things in French culture. So she probably knows a thing or two about...
3: At the same time, though, I actually would think she probably doesn't wear perfume a lot. Like, it's not until Goblet of Fire that she really comes out of her, like, I don't want to say shell, but she, like, really embraces her, like, um, more girly, for lack of better word, side. So I don't know if she's, like, really um, into perfume a lot, you know?
1: But you you can still tell what you're what you like, right? Oh you that's like. oh
3: well totally sure. I
1: mean I think that um perhaps it was a, like a joke that like Fred and George advised Ron what perfume to get and <laughs> they're gonna have the last <laughs> laugh like about this whole situation. I don't know. I'm not I'm sure there's more to this story there. Like I wanna know what kind of perfume it
0: was and, and things like that. Well but yeah. I think Hermione her response shows that she definitely appreciates the gesture, kind of like what Luna Love Duck is saying here is that This is a sign of that Budding relationship that's going on Kind of in the background in this book Because mm-hmm. um, we'll see Actually again we'll see more Instances where Hermione Kind of pulls Ron away to the side While Harry is having his moments With Cho Chang Which are not <laughs> going particularly well So it can But typical
3: for a boy yeah. His age Yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> um and uh two more comments
1: here. Well, first is from Puff and Proud. Uh we, oh, by the way, that reminds me the uh four-way hat stall was it uh Disc Kid? Yes. Disc Kid. Um Props for choosing Hufflepuff, by the way. Yes. Michael and I both. I Michael mean, and I both. Both. Thank you.
2: That's yeah. a questionable decision.
0: That never a questionable decision. <laughs> it is Puff Pride Day on Pottermore as we are recording this. Oh, okay. I, put, I put I put my little signs out on on, on my desk at, at the library today that it was Hufflepuff Pride Day. So every
3: day is Gryffindor Pride Day. <laughs> don't we know it?
1: Because Gryffindor has that much to be proud about. Um <laughs> Okay, so Puffin Proud then, the username on our main site said Still a huge fan of the muggle remedy scene Props to Arthur for looking at alternative (laughs) medicine And yes, even though it doesn't (laughs) quite work out for him Let's just give it up Shelves to turn it out It's funny to
0: call Stitches alternative medicine
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh. You know, alternative to them (laughs) Yes, yes Certainly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, just finally, we do have a shout-out to Skagai and Looney Lauren and Giant Squid, who were all embroiled in a very large discussion on the merits and pitfalls of the entire last chapter. So, you know, basically, when we finish up our discussion of a chapter on Alohomora, the discussion is only just beginning on the forums and on the main site. So we do want to uh, just say we appreciate Even the people we can't mention and read their comments on the site, you all very much, very often impress us greatly.
3: And now we are going to turn to some more great responses for last episode's question of the week, and to remind you of what that question was. Not for the first time, Hermione offhandedly mentions in this chapter that she has left her family vacation early, claiming to her parents that she needs to study for her exams. As has been noted in the past by the Potter fandom, Hermione often monopolizes her time with her parents in order to prioritize her life in the magical world. How is this a reflection of Hermione's relationship with her parents? Is there an additional layer that we do not see? So this was a really great um, set of responses from people in that um, usually I feel like a lot of people agree in some major opinions, but there were a lot of differing opinions on this. So I tried to pick a couple that are different from one another, but definitely head back to the main site to check them all out. Uh, The first response comes from Umbridge Rage, which I love (laughs) that username, While I'm sure they love each other, Hermione mentions earlier in this book that becoming a prefect is something that her parents can understand, implying that most of the time they have no idea what she's talking about. This, I guess, is a problem for many Muggleborns as they delve deeper into the magical world. Hermione's parents are probably a little relieved when she tells them that she is going back to the magical world early, as talking and relating to their daughter must be becoming more difficult every year.
1: What?
0: That's sad.
1: That's really, I don't think I agree with that. You're never going to stop being, wanting to see your daughter and stop being comfortable around your daughter. Like...
3: I think, I don't know. I think you, I think that happens for some people. I mean, it's obviously not... Ideal and certainly not good, but it's certainly happened. Oh, she's
1: finally out of our hair again. We, we were having trouble coming up with things to say. <laughs> like, these parents raised Hermione well. Like, they made sure that she was well-read from an early age. They supported her endeavors. They gave her access to books and things and I, I, I don't know I just don't see that. Can we be
3: for sure though on that? That it wasn't her that it was her own um, like initiation that did that and not her parents? The thing yeah, is they named her you're...
0: after a Shakespeare character. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Like she's the only muggle born in the magical world with a weird name. Who? <laughs> yeah. Usually um, that's a wizard. Well thing. there's that but
1: also I mean I would just argue that yeah it it ultimately comes down to the parents supporting her reading. I mean, if they would have thought reading is for, you know, losers uh, and, you know, given her a sports team or something, you know, she would have turned out totally different. I, Can I, think I make they...
2: one little point here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, her parents, if they were that like, what the heck is going on? I don't get all this stuff. I don't see them going to Diagon Alley with her to do all her stuff, you know, meeting the Weasleys, all of that. Like they put themselves out there in this world that makes no sense to them they know nothing about so i don't really see them as being like oh who is this chick now like i don't know what to say to her i just don't really see that i mean obviously we don't know much about them but
3: yeah on the merits i would definitely agree with that they do make an effort but i think there is a valid idea here because that's earlier in hermione's um hogwarts years while we're starting to get into those later ones so i do think umbridge rage brings up a good point that i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily think that they would want to get rid of her but it is an interesting point to think that she and other muggle as parents may have more and more difficulty uh, relating to them or even having like completely solid relationships with them as they delve more into the a world to which the parents can't be a part
1: that's true um and I mean, even talking about boarding school, I mean, just being away from home, you know, your kids growing up without you, kind of around, they're just off at boarding school. That's any boarding school. Um, yeah, so that's, that's an interesting comment.
3: So taking a different look is Luna Love Duck, and the comment says, I think Hermione is making a mistake that a lot of young people make, putting family second in order to spend as much time as possible with her friends. It's easy for us to get the impression that she doesn't really have any muggle friends, since she was a bossy know-it-all as a child, and now all her peers don't get to see her all year. No matter how good her relationship with her parents might be, I'm sure Hermione feels lonely and out of place in the muggle world. Each vacation, she is probably eager for any excuse to get back to the environment where she has friends, and is known as the brightest witch of her age. I wouldn't be surprised if her parents can see through all of her flimsy excuses each time she leaves that they probably see this as the one tiny bit of teenage rebellion in their daughter. Lots of young people go through a phase where they put their friends before their family, though I think Hermione probably comes to regret it when she has to send her parents to Australia and realizes she may never see them again.
0: I really like this just because it kind of points out Hermione doesn't have many faults. You know, when yeah. we look through the book, from what we see of her, I mean, her faults are things like sometimes she it, she can lose her head and in, in, in you know crazy she situations. She gets a little and, too attached to house elves. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> she can yeah, she can be a little gung ho about causes a little ahead of the game, but um, really, those are like her flaws are pretty good things most of the time. Even then, so to, mm-hmm. to say that you know for once hermione actually acts like a typical teenager in some situations it's kind of it it's it's it's, it's an interesting thought to think that the, that's actually what's going on here and you know it's part of the reason why i asked this question last week is because i i've always found it fascinating how hermione really brushes these things off when she co- she comes back early and Harry's like, "What are you doing?" Here? And she's like, "Oh, we were just skiing in the Alps, and then I got tired of it, so I came here." <laughs> and like, "Wow, yeah. <laughs> like you just brush that off really easily." So, and she does that multiple times in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it it I do think there is that element of she's just being a teenager.
2: When I when I heard the question on last episode, that was the first thing I thought. I'm like. Yes, she's Hermione, she's super genius, whatever, but she's also a 15-year-old girl. And between hanging out with your parents or the place where all your friends and the guy you like are and all these exciting order things happening, you know, any news, she's going to get there as opposed to being cut off, of course that's what she's going to pick.
1: And if she wants an excuse, it's, oh, I'm saving the world. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I I mean, I'm... Best friends with the chosen ones, so
0: I like that that's not her excuse though. Her excuse is I have homework. <laughs> yeah. Well yeah, that, that works that tends to work better,
1: I guess, for,
0: for her parents. Whatever.
3: <laughs> so the last response takes off similar to what Kayla was just saying, and it's from Looney Lauren and it says, I think that Hermione is just seeing the bigger picture in this instance. She learns that Ron's dad got attacked and nearly killed, and Harry is being moody and depressed again. I believe that Hermione has a good relationship with her parents and loves them very much. We see the extent she goes to save them from danger in deathly hallows. She just may not be extremely close to them. I think she weighed her options and wanted to be there for both of her friends who were going through very difficult times. I think she understands that her family is fairly safe, so she does not have to worry about them at the moment, while she would be fretting over all of the Weasleys and Harry as well the entire time she was with her parents. I do not agree with the theory that others have brought up that she is blowing off her parents simply to spend time with her friends because she would just rather be with them. I believe that she went to them because they needed her more.
1: That's an interesting aspect of
0: it. So she's going to them, but for them, not for her. Right. Yep. Even in this instance, she she pulled a Spock and she weighed all the options, and this one was the most logical. Therefore... (laughs) Therefore, ditch your skiing vacation. She couldn't ski very well anyway. <laughs> the
2: needs of the many outweigh the needs of the
1: ski. <laughs> you know her; t- she couldn't ski. Her teeth got in the way. Aww. Oh,
0: no No, That's they awful. didn't. She shrunk
3: them. You're already. definitely
2: the Slytherin for today.
3: Go, go <laughs> to the corner. Wear <laughs> that. Uh, go to the corner. But, like I said, those are all three very different responses and there are even more different ones going on on the main side so make sure you go and check some of those
0: but now it's time to practice some mind reading skills because this is chapter 24
1: 24 i
0: knew you were going to say that i read your mind chapter
4: 24
0: Oclumency. As the final days of Christmas break loom near, Sirius suffers from, as Mrs. Weasley puts it, the fits of the sullens, and a notably pacified creature is found skulking in Grimmauld Place's attic, though Harry is doubtful he's been there all this time. Mr. Weasley is discharged from St. Mungo's, proving for now that stitches are not particularly effective in the wizarding world. Professor Snape arrives at headquarters with plenty of snark for Sirius, as well as a message from Dumbledore that Harry is to begin lessons in occlumency to shield his mind from Voldemort's legilimency powers. Before seeing them off to Hogwarts, Sirius gives Harry a gift that Harry swears to himself he will never use, assuming it's another product to encourage mischief. Upon returning to school following a particularly horrible daytime trip on the night bus, Harry barely manages to ask Cho Chang on a date. This achievement is overshadowed by a taxing lesson in memory defense with Snape, as well as perhaps the most ominous glimpse into Voldemort's mind Harry has yet experienced. Whew, there's a lot going on in this chapter. That's a good summary. Yeah, that is the most I could compact it too. There's a lot going on in here. Um, And as I've reminded the listeners before, the summary really is for the benefit of you guys because we can only hit on so many points as these chapters get bigger and bigger. Um, So we want to make sure... That you guys catch everything that we miss and talk about it more on the main site and the forums. But for now, let's go into the first point here. The kind of the chapter starts up with a, a face off with Snape and Sirius. Something that kind of has been this has been boiling up to. This series um, finally breaks loose here. And uh, first of all, we actually had uh, audio boo from Skagai uh, regarding who Snape is actually directing his anger towards here.
4: Hello, Alohomora. Hello, this is SKGAI from the forums, Skagai. Um, in the chapter titled Occlumency, we get a ton of hostility between Snape and, well, I guess everybody, Sirius and Harry most of all. But I wanted to ask you, who is Snape feeling the most animosity towards right now? Let me suggest it's actually Dumbledore. In this chapter, in response to Sirius' question on why Dumbledore can't teach Harry, Snape responds, I suppose because it is a headmaster's privilege to delegate less enjoyable tasks. I assure you, I did not beg for the job. Additionally, although no scenes from Order of the Phoenix appear in The Prince's Tale in Deathly Hallows, Snape is frequently incredulous towards Dumbledore, almost the same as Harry is incredulous towards Snape in this chapter. Snape says to Dumbledore, "'You trust him?' referring to Harry. "'You do not trust me. And why may I not have the same information?' Snape, I think, is furious at Dumbledore for not telling him the whole truth. Your thoughts?
1: You know, I like this idea, um, but I I would have to say that it's probably, going back to the old school rivalry, I I would say he's probably the most angry at Sirius, and he's the most uh, dislikeful, hateful of (laughs) Sirius right now. I mean, Sirius is the one who he has his wand pointed towards, and... You know what, at least the way that Jim Dale reads it, um, which I was going over, you know, before we recorded the episode, um, you know, the way that he reads it, it just seems like Snape is is very co- collectively telling Sirius just why things are the way they are. And, um, I mean, I don't think he... I didn't really detect the same level of resentment when he said that about Dumbledore.
3: Huh.
2: I thought the comment about Dumbledore was just supposed to be a dig at Harry. Like oh he gives the horrible jobs no one would ever want to do to other people. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, well, there's that, and then there's the point where he just said it's like the headmaster's privilege to do that. So that that's where like the theory is that um, because as he's saying it's his privilege that he's he's all he's all kind of against the mighty Dumbledore. But I think you're right, Kayla, that it's just about how unteachable Harry is.
3: So reading this scene, I had. Have- a reaction to it that i've never had before um ooh, ooh, i got you cried that's what this is all about it's nothing very novel it's just i was extremely frustrated just in general and with both of them because i don't know what it, the perspective i had reading at this time but was just very angry that they were at such odds at this point i mean despite their past um i just felt like from harry's side given what has happened to him and with mr weasley like he should be refocused on, like, trying to get this done and not focus too much on his hatred of Snape. And similarly with Snape, he knows this is too important, given that what he's probably talked to Dumbledore about, that Harry cannot fail at this. And I feel both of them do horrible jobs, and it's just so extremely frustrating that they can't see the importance of this to get by a little bit better.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's basically just you want to shout at them, grow up like yeah. you do. Like, they, they get to... The point where they're drawing wands, uh, you know, and pointing it at each other, and Snape mentions um, Lucius and, and Sirius's recent outing as the dog—not recent outing, but at the beginning of the year—and it's just like they're just throwing mud at each other's faces. They're just—they it doesn't—they just keep
0: doing it, which is why I think Skagai's comment is interesting in that it—it's potentially suggesting that like for once snape is actually not kind of har- harboring stuff from the past and that he's actually re- misdirecting mm-hmm. his anger um but kind of with uh, agreeing with all of you and kind of just with my personal views of snape as and as, and and with how the scene is written and the fact that this scene we have had a lot of build up to this blow up is i i think rolling did mean for Snake to be directing his anger at Sirius, and it is for Sirius, because, um, like your guys are saying, it's like they're both being children. And it, I mean, Harry actually has to push them apart. Um, of <laughs> all things, he's pl- Harry's playing mediator here. It's a good thing Mister Weasley walked in. Yes, that too. Well, in in regards to that, uh, there I had two questions that actually kind of go off of that pretty well. Which one? Uh, this one's a little less large. Also, I'll ask this one first. Why were these these interactions with Snape and Sirius? Because we know the two have seen each other previously, um, with Snape coming over to Grimald Place. Um, why post-Goblet of Fire, since Dumbledore did make them shake hands and make nice in that last scene, why hasn't this been curbed since? Why has nobody addressed this? Why has Dumbledore been kind of aloof to this issue? Because... As I'm about to suggest, there might even be a fatal um, result from this yeah. interaction.
1: I mean, it's kind of a weak... It's a weakness. It's a weak link. It's when they're not cooperating. When they're so obviously at odds with each other. You know, it's its like, well, if Dumbledore decides just not to get involved with their personal affairs, like, I think there's a certain extent to which he has to let people be people. Like, he has to let them hold grudges. Because he can't just be like, because they'll they'll they they'll maybe um, uh, what's the word? Just go up against him if he pushes too hard for them to start liking each other. It's like it's enough to say that Sirius and Severus need to work together, but they he's not gonna he can't make them like it, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: True. Well, and to Snape's credit, he actually tries to make Sirius go away during this particular meeting, but Sirius refuses. Yeah. Um, yeah, but. Which- to in, in respect to Sirius on that end, Sirius is Harry's godfather, which you know, he's the last one who's other than Dumbledore who's taken it upon himself, Sirius does have uh, an obligation to Harry. Yeah,
1: not not to trash Sirius, but he does say like, Oh, I'm his godfather, I should stay because he's he's playing the card of I have his concerns at my best heart. But when I'm reading this scene, I don't know what was going through my head, but when I'm reading this now I'm just thinking, no, it's what Snape said is right. He's so desperate for, to find out what's going on, mm. that he's using the excuse of Harry as his godson to sit and spy on Snape and learn what's going on. He, It's like he's not content, Sirius is not content to leave the room and ask Harry about it afterwards. Um, in fact, Harry can't even get the words out to Sirius for the rest of the day what he wants to tell him. So, You know, Sirius is just barging in and and expecting to be told what's going on with Harry. And that's just kind of... It rubs me the wrong way. Mm
2: -hmm. I think he's also trying to protect Harry. I mean, he knows how much Snape doesn't like him. And, I mean, if you have these parental feelings towards this, you know, still kind of a child, are you going to leave him alone in a room with someone you know torments him?
1: Well, you know, I think that Snape... the, the, The mistake with Snape is that he'll do his duty... You know, so, like, many people don't, like... They may, like, not forgive him for his character flaws, but um, he's been appointed this task by the headmaster, and, you know, I'm sure as as we see later in at least even the first Occlumency lesson, he's really trying to educate Harry uh, in the way that he knows. And I, I, I think he does a, a good show, and I think that he
0: really cares about getting this job done for Dumbledore. Well, and... To kinda of go off what you have what you've been saying, Eric. My big question here, because I have felt this since the first reread, this kind of inkling, since my first read of Order of the Phoenix, could we potentially argue here, and there's gonna be a lot of instances of this in this chapter of Snape actually being perhaps indirectly responsible for a few things. Snape makes sure in this interaction to target Sirius's weakest feelings right now by constantly goading him that he can't do anything for the Order, anything useful, um, according to the way Snape phrases it. Um, And, of course, as we know, Sirius will meet his downfall by finally leaving Grimmaulde Place, um, not only to save Harry, but in tandem, doing something useful. Um, Just a suggestion, could we potentially say that snape has an indirect hand in sirius's death or contributes in some way to that
3: i mean i think it definitely feeds the fire right because this is a lot of it is sirius's personality combined with being cooped up combined with harry going through all of this and then snape is just one little uh, snape just more adding to the fire of it
4: Hmm.
1: yeah i mean there's even a line in this chapter where snape uh, it says something about living in your mom's house, and it's just like, what? Where did he, where did he come from? These like living in your mom's basementers It says <laughs> it's like there's something really like you know intended from Snape to Sirius to make him feel like trash for living where he does. Never mind, it's the whole headquarters of the whole regime against or the the anti Voldemort League. But you know, it's just he still says it the way that he says it. You live with your parents, or you live in your parents' house. It's kind of it's meant to be. It's demeaning, and I think it absolutely one hundred percent fuels the the fire of of Sirius. Um, yeah, it's, wa- it, wanting to leave or being okay with leaving when he does.
0: Like you guys were saying about the two of them being like children, it kind of makes me think of that. Like it's almost like Snape's being like, "I dare you! I dare you to go do something. Go do something useful and see what happens." Um, I just feel like there's there's something to that, and again, we're going to see Snape causing a lot of trouble in this chapter um as we go on which kayla i would love to hear your thoughts on because you actually sent us a wonderful um discussion on your part about uh the flaws in dumbledore's plan by deathly hallows um and i I feel like remember what i said oh it was all about it it was all about like (laughs) the the chance that that snape cried that died okay yeah i I totally
2: i i remember now that was pretty good go me (laughs)
0: <laughs> um. <laughs> and so I I think They're even the kind of the, the beginnings of this These potential plans kind of Falling apart or um, You know well, being shaken I, I up actually
2: and... disagree with you guys on, on just on this particular point On Snape being Responsible for Sirius Going out and getting killed I am always willing to blame Snape for Everything I really can't stand the guy I want to punch him in the face But <laughs> Knowing what we do about Sirius's character, can you imagine any scenario in which he thinks Harry is in trouble, in danger, and he doesn't go, you know, cowboying up to go rescue him? I don't care yeah. if he's, like, <laughs> never met Snape. Like, he was going. Like, no matter what. That's just my True.
3: Right, that's- so, like, I-, I buy that, and I think that's the thing, right? Is that he... Like, the motivation and the, the the external factors are there enough, but Snape, I think, could have accelerated it by his taunting.
0: Mm. I guess Snape didn't help. He may not have, you
3: know... Right, Snape but when it comes helps. down to Snape it, never... the incident in which Sirius leaves with the rest of the order, he was going to go under those circumstances probably regardless.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And now I don't remember what happened, so we have to wait till we read there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking of Sirius being rash, Sirius gives Harry a present before he leaves for Hogwarts. <laughs> We're not going to discuss the the function and the present itself too much, because we'll get there. We will definitely right. get there. It's not really introduced. I mean, it's here, but it's not yep. even it's, opening. It's left in its wrapping, which is part of the whole undoing. Um, po- possibly, quite Possibly one of the... Most frustrating parts of the series as a whole Um mm. The thing I wanted to bring up here Is this, this this poor present That is dismissed, neglected And forgotten by Harry oh. And perhaps how it is I've noticed this reread more than any And maybe it's because the movie has Dulled my kind of Understanding of this relationship over time Because Order of the Phoenix the movie Does not take this tack at all With how it presents Sirius and Harry's relationship Um I didn't realize until this re 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 just how damaged this relationship is by this point. Um, There is just... Harry and Sirius don't talk. Um, They've been avoiding each other almost all Christmas. Uh, Sirius, who previously I think we did look to as a father figure for comfort, is not playing that role anymore. He is neglecting that role. Oh. And
1: Harry's internalizing uh, all of Sirius's feelings, like he's um, noticing that that's, that Sirius is like faking laughter, and he's mm-hmm. noti- and he's basically letting Sirius's mood dictate his own and his own responses to things. Like he's basically spends, I think, all of this morning in this chapter um, watching Sirius grows slowly sadder as. You know, once Christmas is over, now that people are one step closer to leaving him and being alone. And Harry's feeling this and internalizing all of these thoughts without once having a conversation with Sirius about them. They're
2: mm-hmm. trying to out-emo each other.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's an emo war.
0: Well um, I'll go ahead, Kayla.
2: Oh, I was just going to say I was really frustrated with Sirius in this part because I can understand he's, he's lonely most of the time. You know, he has to sit around this gross house with all these terrible memories. But so he's like, "Oh, everyone's going to leave. So instead of spending time with everyone, I'm going to go hang out in Buckbeak's room like and <laughs> and start the being alone process even sooner." Like, what? And also, why does Buckbeak have a room? Like, does he have to stay inside all the time? That is animal cruelty. And as a uh, you know, supporter of Noah, I am against this.
3: <laughs> well, I think one of the important things is like in the midst of his pouting and being all angsty as an adult, he fails to notice the absences of creature, which obviously has some giant rep- repercussions later. And he just kind of passes it off whenever they bring it up. So by being so distant emotionally, he's not carrying out his, at least a really important duty of the order is making sure creature doesn't get out with information.
0: Mm-hmm. Well... And another point with Sirius's kind of absence here that I wanted to bring up is I know a lot of people in the fandom over the years have complained. Again, this is one of the the the, the mirror in particular is one of the most frustrating elements of the story um, as a whole. And a lot of people have even suggested that perhaps this is a little flimsy on Rowling's part because the mirror just completely disappears. It's never thought of again, um, even though it's around. It it somehow ends up in the bottom of Harry's trunk, even though he puts it in his jacket pocket um, at this point. And people have said that this is kind of just a weak kind of excuse for or a way to kind of, you know,
1: rub salt in the wound. I do feel like that is the literary purpose of the existence of this mirror is to rub salt in the wound that, hey, Harry, you could have had a form of communication to your godfather all this time while he was still alive. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, So I do think that that is the
0: literary purpose of this mirror um, I just, just,
1: just to do that Yeah,
0: I just, I just know a lot of people have had problems with that being the only pro- And of course then we get the mirror back in Deathly Hallows mm-hmm. um, To serve as kind of a one of the many deus ex machinas that shows up in that book um, But uh, I don't know, I just know that a lot of people have had a problem with the mirror. Well, th- this is the first time I'm hearing
1: about people having a problem with Buckbeak uh, getting locked up in the room. <laughs> I mean, I think that that
3: is, I, I'm going to kind of that necessary one to keep him safe. So I know he's
2: a giant wild animal, and you're going to put him in a bedroom in a it's creaky pro- old dirty house. It's like probably the poop? master
1: bedroom. It's probably the ma- he probably poops right on Sirius's parents' bed, and that's <laughs> who, exactly how Sirius. Who is Sirius?
2: Buckbeak's poop? These are the things we need to know.
1: That's what's what's taking Sirius so long when he's in there. I think that Buckbeak poops right on Sirius' parents' bed, and that's exactly where Sirius wants
0: Buckbeak to go.
3: I mean, this is better than Buckbeak not being alive, so... Which was a very likely outcome at one point.
4: Yeah.
0: Random Easter egg for those of you who have never noticed it. If you, <laughs> because this conversation is pertinent to it. If you watch Prisoner of Azkaban during the scene when Buckbeak is introduced, he does poop on screen. It is the first instance of an animated animal pooping on screen you're welcome i didn't
2: know that
0: (laughs) yes yes take a look what i'm
3: doing tonight (laughs) (laughs) getting out the (laughs) blu-ray
0: and speaking actually of i was not planning on that segue but speaking actually prisoner of azkaban we have the return of the night bus in this chapter there you go oh perfect thank you rolling it even goes beyond what you intended um So the night bus comes back, and I just wanted to read a little bit about the night bus, because I wasn't sure if we'd reviewed this before on the show, but a few important points about the night bus. It is a relatively modern invention in wizarding society, and sometimes, though it will rarely admit it, uh, which sometimes, though it will rarely admit, it takes ideas from the Muggle world. The needs for some form of transportation that could be used safely and discreetly by the underage or the infirm had been felt for a while, and many suggestions had been made, including sidecars on taxi-style broomsticks, carrying baskets slung under Thestrals, all of them vetoed by the Ministry. Finally, Minister of Magic, Dugald MacPhail, hit upon the idea of imitating the Muggle's relatively new bus service, and in 1865, the night bus hit the streets. While some wizards, mainly pure-blood fanatics, announced their intention of boycotting what was dubbed this Muggle-esque outrage in the letters pa- in the letters page of the Daily Prophet, the Night Bus proved hugely popular with most of the community and remains busy to this day. And Rowling actually put her personal thoughts on the Night Bus on Pottermore as well. Um, and this is interesting in how it informs the Night Bus's appearance in this chapter. And Rowling says the Night Bus was so named because, firstly. Knight is a homonym of and I K-N-I versus N-I, and there are night buses running all over Britain after normal transport stops. Secondly, night has the connotation of coming to the rescue, of protection, and this seemed appropriate for a vehicle that is often the conveyance of last resort. The driver and conductor of the night bus in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban are named after my two grandfathers, Ernest and Stanley as Rowling said Aww. on Pottermore. Now, the interesting thing here, taking all of what Rowling just said into account, the night bus appears in the daytime, not as a last resort. <laughs> <laughs> Still called the night bus. Um, and it's just a bus. And I don't know. I, I, I Even on my first read, I had problems with this, just because it would seem that the whole pun, the whole humor of the night bus, is kind of taken away by it showing up in the daytime. Just oh, come on. It's not anybody. just a it's not just a nighttime thing. This is like you know how much
1: trouble JK Rowling got into when she made that one article, uh or that one edition of the evening profit and never yes. mentioned it ever again. <laughs> so from then on, everything Rowling invented runs twenty four hours, okay? There's only a daily profit. There's a night bus that runs during the day. It just it happens. It's just it happens. I don't approve of this. Well, it's the preferred method of transit. I'm trying to remember why. Tonks
0: and Lupin choose to take this to Hogwarts, no less.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they they actually well, don't... I'm assuming that students go back on the train normally, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, like, they, yes. they
0: would have to. Well,
2: I mean, they would... couldn't... Two random orers couldn't just be like, Hey, what's up? We're catching this train with you guys. Don't well, pay they, attention you know, to
3: us. <laughs> I guess, well, yeah, I guess we're saying... Considering the circumstances, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and they
2: wanted protection after everything that's happened.
1: Right. You know, that is a point I do want to bring up. It's in the bio, uh, which Michael just read, and it's in what Kayla just said, but protection. And I just see this bus as the absolute opposite of (laughs) (laughs) safety. (laughs) Let's, Let's say safety. Well, I mean, when when Harry and uh, his his entourage get onto the bus, people or the passengers who have already who are already on the bus are picking themselves up from the floor or the wall. <laughs> Somebody, their baggage is like at the opposite end of the bus than where they are, <laughs> and it's just not. Look, it's not. How does it protect? <laughs> really? I mean, it's, that's like using the, like the the flimsiest description definition ever of protection is you're getting jostled around, thrown up against the walls. I mean, pretty much much like Harry is in um, Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie. Yeah. Don't you
2: know wizards don't care about safety, particularly of children. A few (laughs) broken bones, you know, some lacerations, whatever. Give them a potion, they're fine. If you can
1: heal it with a wave of a wand, I guess that really does redefine you know, serious injury and that sort of thing. They don't yeah, like, fear
2: car wrecks like we do.
0: I like that the chairs aren't even, like, you know, attached to the floor. They're just chairs that they just, <laughs> <laughs> that they just put in there. We
2: well, have to be able to remove them to put in the beds. The beds,
0: which are also not attached to anything. <laughs> oh, man. It, it, it is um, impractical in a lot of ways. And actually, speaking of protection, I, did, I was thinking a little, too, of the Order um, in this instance. Because, of course, Tonks and Lupin accompany us on this journey on the night bus not saying very much once again um about you know one or two lines between the two of them um and kind of thinking about the order naming this book harry potter and the order of the phoenix because the order isn't really in it that much they don't really we and we don't get to see them doing anything of particular excitement really until the last chapter um and i just thought that was interesting because up to now, most of the things that the books have been titled after, while kind of could be considered MacGuffins, are still important to the plot. Especially *Chamber of Secrets*, which that runs through the entire book. Um,
2: What's a MacGuffin? Sorry.
0: A McGuffin is know what that means is a plot device that's it's it's there and everybody talks about it, but it's not actually the the crux of the plot. It's not. It's something that everybody is after or everybody is paying attention to, but is actually not the main focus of the story. Um. If you have watched any Alfred Hitchcock films, pretty much everything that anybody goes after in those movies is a MacGuffin. Because um, it's about the journey. It's about the journey. <laughs> <laughs> Harry um, Potter and the Journey. We'll, just- <laughs> well, I
1: think I think that Order of the Phoenix, the Order of the Phoenix, is so titled because of the look. It's looking forward, right? To the se- it's the beginning of the second half of the series, and it's looking forward to the group is going to defeat the main villain and. I feel the exact opposite about Half-Blood Prince because that is titled quite, I don't want to say, well, the the identity of the Half-Blood Prince is not important. It's not important that so-and-so was the Half-Blood Prince. In fact, that feels like anything like misdirection or a MacGuffin or something that's not crucial to the overall plot structure of the entire series. Uh, the fact that this one person had a nickname. Wait, Uh, why am I pretending that we're not spoiling (laughs) Well, It doesn't doesn't matter. (laughs) Snape kills Dumbledore! (laughs) It doesn't matter that Snape is the Half-Blood Prince, right? I mean, the Order of the Phoenix is the group that was foremost against, is the only group against Voldemort. um, The only organized group that we know of that's against Voldemort. So it has a place being a title of a Harry Potter book? More than... Book six does. So that would just be my argument is that it fits the book series more than six.
2: I think it makes a, a little bit more sense when you think about that kind of he Harry is almost forming his own this generation's order of the Phoenix oh, at like the same that. time in the DA. I mean, because the order of the Phoenix is the original one. And now this time he's, you know, cultivating the people who are going to be fighting against him again i mean obviously the older people are still fighting but it's kind of like his own baby order of the phoenix
4: Hmm.
0: i like that i actually like that because i i think the reason it's been bothering me lately with these particular chapters is that we've had so many appearances by some you know important order members that are becoming very ancillary um it's kind of it's kind of funny thinking about how how much we love Lupin and Tonks and all these other side characters, and how little they get to do in this book.
1: Well, um, you know, even in this chapter, Moody and uh, Mundungus show up just to congratulate <laughs> Mr. Weasley on dinner, or no, no at dinner. Oh, <laughs> <on> dinner. That <laughs> um, was a great dinner, Mr. <laughs> <you've> Weasley. We <laughs> made a great meal. Um, we cooked that snake that caught you, or that got you. Um, no, the they congratulate him on his recovery. Um, but again, they're, they're right in front of Harry, but nothing happens. And Harry doesn't even get to talk to Sirius at all really
0: much. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it's just, we've got the order around, but we just don't... I guess in a lot of inf- things that are going to inform future, Sir- future books don't really come from the order itself. But I like your suggestion, Kayla, that it's perhaps also a reference to Harry's own order that he is forming. I like that idea. Um, He doesn't
2: name it anything near as cool, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, I I
1: think they try to step away from direct pronouns or direct character names in the title besides Harry, right? Mm -hmm. It's like Harry Potter Mm -hmm. and Dumbledore's Army. I mean, even the Mm -hmm. Half the Prince is vague.
0: You know, it's it's not.
2: You said you didn't like that, or, you know, it's just a nickname. Harry Potter and Snape would be a much worse title. Yeah, (laughs) indeed.
0: (laughs) Well, and speaking of Snape, we have returned to Hogwarts by this point uh we're not even gonna talk at length about harry and cho because that's just that's it something
4: that happens we'll get there (laughs) can
2: i make one tiny tiny point about that because i just had a a big female thought when reading that (laughs) um i just want to give a shout out to cho she gets so much hate and for good reason i mean she whinges a lot and everything but As a 15-year-old girl, she goes up to this very popular guy that she likes and asks him out. That is so hard to do. And then he, like, completely blows it and is like, what? And she, you know, gets embarrassed and pretty much runs away. But I just want to give her props for having the cojones to do that.
0: No, absolutely. And I'm hopeful that, um, because you guys will be uh, getting to the, the Beetle at Bay, Soon, Where the big blow up happens with that relationship oh. And I'm hoping that there there is at least a little on Cho's Somebody is holding up Cho's end of the argument Just a little bit Because uh, as I've mentioned before on the show I was a big supporter of the Harry-Cho relationship I really liked it when I first read the books And then of course that happens um, But yes, I do think that to her credit Cho is definitely making some effort here That is going... Horribly unnoticed by Harry, as is so humorously depicted in this chapter, um, she couldn't really do anything like more blunt. Like the next best thing would have actually been to grab him and drag him to Hogsmeade. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I, I think it's funny. It shows where he's at that she comes up to him and he
1: thinks she's just going to ask when the next meeting is. Yeah, she's you know. like,
2: "So Valentine's Day hint, hint.
1: <laughs> what yeah. love." hearts, things like that, dating groups. Yeah, he's like, girl, I'm dreaming about snakes. You don't don't want to know me. You you don't want to know
3: me. He blows it, but he also does fix it, at least, before she gets away.
1: Oh, yeah, which is great. I mean, he just I love that
2: it describes, like, the wheels in his head turning until he finally (laughs) is like, oh, crap, wait.
0: And I love how he he concludes it by saying, well, that's done then. Like, (laughs) settled, John. Take that off the list. Yep, check. Um, And, of course, then Harry has to head down to the dungeons for a little Occlumency lesson with Snape. And as he walks in, interestingly, he notices that um, Snape is actually putting some of his memories into the Pensieve, which Snape will continue to do throughout this chapter, um, just offhandedly, definitely before him and Harry start kind of doing their weird memory dueling. Um, Interestingly... Um, I, I wanted to confirm, because I never really noticed this until now. Snape, is a Snape purposefully extracting the memories that he doesn't want Harry to see? Yes. Is that what absolutely. he's putting away? Because, of course, then we find out that those memories are on top of the Pensieve, just waiting for Harry to look at later. Um, little thing that I just kind of was like, whoop, that went over my head. Um, but the most interesting thing here, which goes back to what we uh, a previous discussion we'd had on the Pensieve, is that... As Harry is leaving later, uh, he notices that Snape is actually putting the memory... He's taking the memories from the pensive and putting them back in his head. And I was wondering, does this debunk our earlier theory that pensive memories are copies and perhaps suggest that the memory is being literally removed from the individual's mind?
1: It's weird because for me, I mean, one one memory is linked to other memories, you know, and like... Memories and emotions are two separate things. So, say Snape wanted to um, hide from Harry the fact that he loved his mother. It's a fairly um, big deal. So, would he remove every single one of his memories that he had of Lily? Like, I mean, that's gonna, I mean, that would be exhausting. Like, you couldn't possibly do it. You know, he would remove probably the biggest ones that would trigger that. So, him him maybe finding out that Lily had died, hmm. um, you know, or something like that. You know, all the major memories, the handful of major memories that would trigger that emotional path. But, I mean, when you remove them and put them in the pensive, does that mean he doesn't, like, if he were to somehow extract all of his memories of dealing with Lily or having to do with Lily, would he really not remember Lily if all those memories are in the, you know, pensive until he puts them back in and it's just like heartbroken all over again?
2: That was my first thought. And wouldn't he be like, wait, why am I helping this kid? <laughs> <Like he, laughs> <laughs> remove his entire you motivation what
1: you're doing could you just like forget like if he were to remove the memory of dumbledore asking him to teach this class would he <laughs> kick harry out of the classroom like, what are you <laughs> doing down here potter
4: yeah
2: my my Go thought ahead, is Caleb. that it has to work both ways like i would think you would have to be able to obviously he wouldn't be removing the memories for no purpose whatsoever so i would think that It would have to be actually removing them or maybe removing them from his, I don't know, the higher brain function level where it's easier to pull out. I'm sure there's some actual term for that that I can't think of. Um, But with Dumbledore using the Pensieve, I cannot see him just straight up removing his memories. Like, he says he wants to, like, you know, examine them better, but I would think he would just... He would still want them so he can ruminate on them later. Now, so I I would think he would just be making copies there.
1: Well having a pensive is the exact same thing as having your memory stored somewhere safe, like your head, but not in your head. Like Dumbledore's pensive is usually in his office and that is meant to be meant to have a high level of security around it.
2: I can't see him literally being like I'm just gonna leave these here. And there's oh, any absolutely chance I'm going can. to not get my memories back. We like- have
1: evidence of that. We have evidence of that in Goblet of Fire. He's removing memories of Karkaroff being a Death Eater so that he can work with him as a fellow headmaster of a school. I mean, we, we absolutely, there is what? total evidence. So you think I would he no-
2: wanted to not know he was a Death Eater? No I way. Think, he's going to want to know there was someone. who I think who was that a he's practicing
1: tolerance. Okay, citation needed, but I think he's <laughs> he's doing that on purpose to practice more tolerance again, You know, with people. I really, honestly think that that's why he removes that. Why Dumbledore removes memories from his head, and I think they do stay away until he puts them in again.
3: So I I, I don't know. I agree with Kayla that I can't imagine Dumbledore allowing the only copy version of his memory to be secured or lack thereof and it's like a basin that is exterior from his body i think he's i think that's just a lot at the Caleb, same time
1: when you're 150 years old you you <laughs> y- it says to harry in one of the books i just have too many thoughts at,
3: that's that's what i was getting to at the same time it's almost the understood purpose of the pensive is to mm, remove these memories out of your head because of the, like, lack of space of holding them all. So I, I don't know where I sit on the issue. I feel, I see the merits of both arguments, so I'm honestly not sure. Well, I don't think I th- he would
2: take out a super important one if, like, hey, there's a Death Eater walking <laughs> around with my students. Yeah, you but. can't
3: explain away that. <laughs> well, I mean, and I, I, what's fast The purpose of the Pensive is to, like, when to, like... Clear up the space of memories And in then one wouldn't time. he get
2: rid of like the memories Of what he had for lunch last week Not well, the d- really Dumbled- important ones <laughs> Dumbledore
3: um, Dumbledore
1: is very proud of his lunch schedule I'll have you know um, But I, I think that uh, if there is two di- There's a difference There's a flaw in talking about Dumbledore Versus talking about Snape Which is in this chapter Snape is preparing to be attacked by Harry He doesn't know how good Harry's going to be At Occlumency or Legilimency Whichever it is you know, and, and and that's evidenced by – I mean he did his research and he knows that Harry was unusually good at the imperious charm – or curse.
4: <laughs> Why did I say it was a
1: charm? <laughs> the imperious curse. Uh, Harry fought it off charmingly. Uh, <laughs> so I think that he really is – and for the purposes of this chapter, he is removing memories. He's not just copying them away because the idea is that they're not in Snape's head. They are not ammunition for Harry's for, – for like the curse to rebound. Or the spell to rebound.
0: Um, well, I guess what's what's interesting with what kind of Kayla was saying about you know do you do you remove these memories that are kind of in important to the moment and then you're like wait why am I doing what I'm doing right now and uh, we've seen that when people remove memories and put them in a pensive th- there's also the th- there is that idea of clearing out space in your head like a pensive is like a you know like a an extra drive for more, more stuff. But at the same time, these pensives are meant to actually, you can go in and examine these memories and live in Mm -hmm. them. Um, So there has to be this conscious awareness left in your head of the memory, because why would you want to examine it if you've taken it out of your head and you don't remember anything about it?
1: It's like uh, you can put a memory into the pensive, but you can't put the memory of you putting something into a pensive. Into the pensive <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so
0: we're getting yeah. very Inception-y
1: here Yeah, it's very, it's, it's
0: turtles all the way down Yeah, it's like, yeah. It, uh, it get, well, and I was going to suggest that perhaps there is this Intrinsic kind of link that maybe there's a deeper connection between The pensive and the individual it belongs to But that would, of course, be debunked here Because this, as Harry identifies it, is Dumbledore's pensive Right um, this is not Snape's personal pensive. This is a—they're sharing this one. Apparently, right? we have
1: to assume they're rare. Like, yeah, have
0: it's not to even
2: Dumbledore's. That... It's uh, Hogwarts on Pottermore. It states that explicitly that it um, it goes from headmaster to headmaster, and that there's a rumor that it was found on the spot where they built Hogwarts. What? True story.
0: <laughs> well, and so that and and you know that that begs the question, do headmasters leave their memories in there? Do they take them back before they die? There's a lot of issues with the Pensieve. I'm hoping which will be further cleared up by Pottermore, especially because we are soon getting into Order of the Phoenix there. I just got chills, guys.
2: They put a bunch of stuff on the Pensieve on Pottermore, or I wouldn't have known that.
0: Yeah, we need more, (laughs) clearly. But that's that's another
2: reason to say I can't imagine Dumbledore leaving his memories in there. Because he thinks Snape is going to be the next headmaster. But what if something else happens and the Karos are now accessing his memory? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lack of, yeah. Maybe he was just hoping that the, the Death Eaters were stupid. Because Dumbledore always assumes that he's smarter than everybody. But, there, yeah, there are a lot of issues with the Pensive And uh, continuing on with Things from the Mind, we get into Occlumency and Legilimency themselves. Uh, this is a big part of the series that's going to carry with us for the rest of the books um the introduction of occlumency and legilimency does confirm harry's previous suspicions that some individuals namely dumbledore and snape were in fact reading his mind yes and no well and we'll get to that in a minute because Mm. the question i want to ask here is because (laughs) snape goes through a very lengthy explain harry asks so it's like mind reading and Snape says, no, you're an idiot. And then goes into a very long explanation and then says, but yes, basically it's mind reading. <laughs> now, Snape, as as, this, as the series humorously sh- has shown before, Snape does tr- tend to either explain things wrong or over-explain things just to make people look stupid, even though they are actually right. Um, the instance that um, is always fun to cite is... Uh, that Snape claims in a previous book that uh, kapas originate in Mongolia and are commonly found there. And then in Fantastic Beasts, it's mentioned that they originated in Japan. And Ron writes a very big note in the book that obviously Snape has not read Fantastic Beasts. Oh, gosh. Um, So Snape isn't always right. And Snape does say things to make people look stupid. But what is the difference between legilimency and mind reading?
2: I always thought that legilimency could only see what you're thinking at the time. And now that I'm saying this, probably that's what people think mind reading is, too. But <laughs> well, <laughs> well,
3: legilimency, um, I mean,
1: Harry wasn't thinking about his... Um, memories
3: with Dudley or Marge yeah, or... Yeah, Dudley.
1: Yeah. Like, that... I guess there's an extra
2: element to it. It brings up certain memories, whereas mind reading would just be... So I'm exactly saying the opposite of what I originally said. Um, Mind reading would just be literally, you know, tuning in to what you're broadcasting at the time. And Legilimency obviously has, you know, the ability to bring certain memories to the surface. Think
1: of Legilimency like casting a net into an ocean and then pulling up and then whatever gets snagged in the net is what you see. There's also um, some example here in this classroom and forthcoming in the book about falling witness to what's being viewed. So both parties view the same, basically the same thing. Like Snape said he had flashes of what Harry was seeing. Maybe he sees a little less than what Harry was actually seeing, but there's this idea of, you know, you're getting Legilimens cast on you and you're forced to relive what that person is extracting or is seeing. Mm -hmm. It's like you're both, you're both parties. And this is why, um, I think it's right for Snape to say to Harry that he's wrong because there's been moments in previous books. We know this Dumbledore's piercing stare, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, Harry feels like Dumbledore can read his mind, but because Harry isn't, Forced to relive or see any visions at that moment, I feel it's. I feel it's something different from legitimacy that Dumbledore was doing, or that Voldemort would be
0: doing. Oh, maybe there's you...
2: like a a light version of it.
0: So you're so, so you're suggesting that when <laughs> Dumbledore gives Her- Harry that piercing look in previous books, that's not necessarily legitimacy. It's not legitimacy. No, although
1: mm, um, what Snape says, what Snape says in this chapter. It, because they're not casting spells, right? I mean, there's not... It's just a look. And Harry isn't forced to relive a memory of him lying to Dumbledore. Like, w- uh, in this chapter, however, uh, Sirius, or, wow, Severus, does does
0: say that um, Voldemort can tell when you're lying. Mm-hmm. And See, so... that's why I think what Dumbledore was doing in previous books and Snape was legitimacy because he, he does mention it's- that The other part of that can be pulling out, like, truths.
1: Well, look, it doesn't... Excuse me. It doesn't have to be legilimency, but it can be something that occlumency can protect against. Yeah. You know the difference? So, like, when Snape casts legilimens and Harry is forced to see everything that Snape is seeing, that's legilimency, but occlumency, the closing of your mind, could prevent, you know other forms of mental
0: invasion as well Mm -hmm. well and as far as casting spells we know you don't have to do that with legilimency um snape makes that clear here even though there is a spell apparently it's just legilimens um (laughs) but um the other thing to note about this and for future that um isn't really brought up much of all the things that snape tries to teach harry in these legilimency lessons actually doesn't tell him I don't believe and I r- r- correct me if um there are like future instances where he does say this but is it ever actually confirmed that legitimacy can actually show you false imagery because That happens
1: That's Yeah, that's (laughs) the entire crux around Why Harry goes to the ministry at the end of the book I don't think it was ever satisfactorily explained Yeah, that's kind of the big failure here, I feel Well, here's the other failure, too Is that in this chapter, too You know, Harry's trying to decipher What Snape is telling him And and apply it to his memory Apply it to his dream that he had Mm -hmm. Yeah And he, in fact, uses his memory That's been resurfaced to learn where it is that the door is located that he's been dreaming about all year. So Harry's using it. He's, he's getting all the wrong lessons from, from Snape here. But I think that, um, the difference or the problem is he is in fact able to see through Voldemort's mind, but there's that third party of the snake where Voldemort would have had to have been possessing the snake at the time for Harry to have been in the snake. And so it's like, yeah, already it's more convoluted. Like that's said in this chapter, he, he
2: doesn't have to be possessing him because Harry saw from the snake in goblet as well.
1: That was in a dream.
0: Isn't that? Did the same he see thing? from? Did he see from Nagini's yeah. view
2: in goblet when? Or I thought it was when at the very beginning with the old.
3: No, character. he's no. He's like um, an aside. He's off the side watching it.
2: Oh, okay. Well, that makes even less sense.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and we've discussed that. That that yeah,
1: he's disembodied. We did say that. Yeah, we did, uh, that Voldemort okay. doesn't have proper body. I don't weird. know
0: what
2: I'm talking about.
1: Well, neither that do I. i never
2: read Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm just making this up. <laughs> yeah, so
1: it's like we we have this issue where like legitimacy and occlumency are kind of introduced, but we don't understand the parameters yet. And Harry has his own agenda, and Snape has his own agenda, and
0: we're not. The answers aren't clear. Well, and speaking of that, and. Kayla, I definitely want you to weigh on in, in on this. Uh, Snape, as an, as Harry's Occlumency Instructor, was this perhaps the worst idea ever? Because this goes down horribly. Not only does this just... This could have been foreseen by anybody, how these interactions go between Snape and Harry, but, and personally, in my opinion, Snape's not... Snape's not at all taking the right approach, because he doesn't instruct Harry in anything. And while Snape makes the argument that, oh, well, nobody's going to give you advance notice in the real world, this is a lesson, and Harry does need to know the technique before he can put it into practice.
2: That's like just stupefying him, trying to teach him Protego, but not (laughs) teaching it, and being like, they're not going to teach you when they're attacking you.
1: (laughs) Kind of. I don't know. Kind of. I
2: I think it's a terrible idea in general. Um, No,
1: I disagree. Snape Snape has a terrible um, teaching kind of um, lesson plan here (laughs) in in that he's not getting real with Harry and saying, look, this is how you're going to feel. This is how you're going to need to combat. All he's saying is empty your mind.
2: That doesn't really help. (laughs) I just think he has to. I mean, obviously, other people have to have been taught this. And it has to be common knowledge that when you use legilimens on people, it completely wears down their mental defenses at first when they're first learning and stuff. So he had, he had to know that this was going to be, at first, literally just breaking down the barriers he's trying to get Harry to build. And he doesn't warn him that. He doesn't tell him that. He doesn't say, hey, you're going to be even more vulnerable for a while, but in the end it will help. He's just a D-bag. Like, well, yeah, I think it kind
3: of speaks to Snape not being a good teacher in general. I mean, we never see him, certainly an exemplary teacher, actually improving no. students' knowledge and skills in the potions classroom, and he's doing the same. Here he's just saying, do better, basically, to Harry, rather <laughs> than like, <laughs> yeah. taking him down the steps to get there.
1: Yeah. But as for whether or not it's a bad idea for Snape to be teaching Harry, absolutely not. No,
3: yeah, <laughs> I, I would agree. Dumbledore has to know
2: how Snape teaches like there has okay maybe not maybe I'm thinking too (laughs) common sense but in a (laughs) muggle school the headmaster would you know observe a lesson here and there from each professor and unless Snape just completely changes his personality Dumbledore should know this is exactly what's going to happen
1: but but Snape uh, yeah but the reason I think it's a good idea is because there's nobody better at you know, Occlumency, then Snape. We know and that he Snape is the one that's been up against
3: Voldemort.
1: Yeah, Snape, we know that Snape is, has successfully and continues to uh, successfully hoodwink Voldemort the entire time um, throughout the next several years. So,
2: Just because you, know, you can do something doesn't mean you can teach it very well.
1: That's true. That's exactly true, and let that be a lesson to uh, dear dead Dumbledore.
0: Uh, well, yeah, no, that that's kind of the track I'm going on is that it's, I feel like this is a... And not justifying the means at all here. Like this, this, this doesn't, this doesn't benefit Harry really. If Dumbledore
2: hadn't been doing his stupid, I'm not talking to Harry thing. He could have done the lessons himself. And I think with much better results. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you think it would have been, I don't know. Like, do you think, uh, Dumbledore (sighs) is protective (laughs) of his own memories like, of his own... Well, he could just do, do what Snape's doing
0: and put yeah. them in the pensive. That's true. So. Although, also,
1: there is the very real possibility that Voldemort could break through Harry any minute. So, you either get Dumbledore facing Harry, who is Voldemort, like you get at the end of the book, or, you know, maybe Snape, who's... I just wonder, what would happen if if Voldemort... Would this give anything away if Voldemort came into Harry as Snape was teaching him to protect himself? In this way?
2: Uh, I think that would be even worse, actually, because it might make Snape look a little it bit might, sketchy. It might
0: ruin. Yeah. yeah. Well, and as
4: well...
2: And so that that theory was terrible, Eric. Good job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and speaking of theory, I did want to throw in the suggestion, because we, we haven't talked about it in, in a while, and I just wanted to throw it out there. Ring composition, we haven't mentioned it in a while, but I just thought this is kind of the opposite of the Harry and Lupin learning the Patronuses in book three and book I three is, have it. is the connection. So to kind bad of teacher, bad teacher. So yeah, exactly. To kind of hammer in that idea of this is a bad idea. This is a bad te- lesson. This is all, this is a bad, it's all bad. Um, the last thing I wanted to note is that there are some worthy known practitioners of legitimacy that, uh, rolling has mentioned Bellatrix is very likely um, a practitioner of uh, Legilimency because she teaches Malfoy Occlumency, as we later find out. Ooh. Salazar Slytherin was a Legilimens, um, as confirmed on Rowling's and old everything episode. else. And everything else, <laughs> 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 everything really... a
4: <laughs> yeah, everything a, a troublemaker
0: needs. Um, but most fascinatingly, as has been detailed on Pottermore, the Sorting Hat is a Legilimens. Um, so apparently through some very ancient magic There is a way to make inanimate objects Have the ability to read people's minds And that is how the Sorting Hat sorts people um, Apparently uh, somebody just good enough in Legilimens can't do it It's got to be a Sorting Hat
1: Gosh, that's like side... I don't want to say it's side canon But that's weird because people aren't reliving the memories that The, the Sorting Hat's like browsing their mind without them reliving it So I would say that either I'm wrong about legitimacy being restricted to the person witnessing what the other person's witnessing mm-hmm. or it's not legitimacy that the sorting hat is doing but if it's said that the sorting hat is a legitimacy, then yeah, it did. I don't, know, so I I don't guess know what
0: else there is to be said Legitimacy must just be a blanket term for a lot of things with the mind right. but that okay. is, we end the chapter with Harry returning with his mind very weak and he sees Voldemort uh Having some uh, a good time, very maniacal laughter, which he's felt better than he has in years, and Harry has no idea why. But we will find out almost immediately in the next chapter, so we'll leave it at that for this week.
3: And as always, we are going to leave you guys with a question of the week. All right, so our question of the week is about... Is one of the topics we just covered, which is Snape and Harry's Occlumency lessons. So, at the end of his lessons, because Snape has worn Harry down so much, he is very vulnerable, as happens when he gets to the Gryffindor common room at the end of the chapter. So our question surrounds that problem, and it is, Snape leaves Harry more vulnerable to Voldemort after the Occlumency lessons. Is this because of his neglect, meaning Snape just being a really bad teacher, A desire to immerse Harry and force him to work harder. Basically, Harry, this is what's going to happen if you don't start working harder. Or is it something else? Maybe out of malice or whatever else you may think of. So that's our question of the week. This will be up on the main site and we can't wait to read your responses. So tell us what you think.
1: We do want to thank our guest, Kayla. Thank you, Kayla, for
0: coming on this episode.
2: It was my pleasure. I love arguing with people about Harry Potter.
0: That was excellent. <laughs> you brought out the you brought out the fisticuffs. We haven't had a fisticuffs <laughs> fight in a while. That was good. <laughs> and if you listeners would like to be on the show, just like Kayla was on this episode, to find out how to do that, you, how you can be on the show, head over to our website and check out the "Be on the Show" page, alohamora.mugglenet.com. If you have a set of headphones and a microphone, that's really all you need. I mean, if you would like, though, feel free to bring your fisticuffs.
3: You can check us out on many social media and other channels. Twitter, AlohomoraMN. Facebook.com slash OpenTheDumbledore. On Tumblr, at Podcast On Snapchat, MN underscore Alohomora. You can leave us a voicemail at 206GoAlbus, which is 206-462-5287. You can also leave us an audio boo for free on our main site, alohamora.mugglenet.com. You just need a microphone and keep it under 60 seconds.
1: And there is the Alohomora store where we are proud to announce, uh, well, re announce our house shirts, new house shirts. Your Hufflepuff is showing, your Ravenclaw is showing, your Slytherin is showing, your Gryffindor is doing something and also (laughs) ringtones that are free and available on our website you can find both of those things over at alohamora.mugglenet.com
0: and of course our app the alohamora app which is available seemingly worldwide as we always say prices vary depending on location the app includes transcripts bloopers alternate endings host vlogs and more so be sure to check it out for more alohamora content uh well with that said i'm eric skull am michael harley
3: and I'm Caleb Graves. Thank you for listening to episode 102 of Mora.
0: Open the Dumbledore and clear your
1: mind of all things.
0: Um, I'm yeah, sorry, guys.
2: Th- I'm sorry. What are you doing? Okay, close the door, please. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm so sorry.
0: That's fine. <laughs> I thought for a second you were asking us what we were doing. I was like, well, we're we're reading Harry Potter. <laughs> podcast, <what> we're podcasting. <laughs> we we're doing the same I, thing
2: we do every week. I get <laughs> I get moments of amnesia. So. <laughs> <laughs>